Philadelphia Union, San Jose Earth, DC, Los Angeles Galaxy, Beach Pass, Colorado Rapids, Vancouver Whitecaps, Seattle Sounders, Montreal Impact, Tosh USA, New York Red Bulls, Pitch Pass, your all-access credential to the people that matter in MLS. Here's your host, Greg Roach. Well, hello there. Welcome to another edition of Pitch Pass. Did you download last week's episode? Good one featuring Matt Beasler of Sporting Kansas City and Adam Jardy giving you everything Columbus crew related. So go to pitchpass.com, download that if you haven't done so already. And thank you very much for downloading this episode. Did you get it through iTunes? Well, then why don't you subscribe to the show while you're there? That way you never miss an episode. And if you're there, rate it and review it. That helps in some ways, which we don't even know about. One guest today, but it's a good one. Because there's a lot been going on up in Boston. New England Revolution have a new designated player. Some questions surrounding a brand new stadium. And some other things as well. And the only man I know who can handle that and anything else MLS, U.S. men's national team related is our friend from the Boston Herald, from Fox Sports, Kyle McCarthy. He joins us right now on the show. Kyle, hello, sir. How are you? So much going on in the world of New England Revs, Kyle. Is this the the most busy or most informative time in the uh, of the revolution period that you've been covering them? It's the most significant uh, for several years, certainly. Uh, when you look at what's gone down and, and the fact that the Reds have gone out and spent a lot of money on Jermaine Jones, it's a pretty vital stretch for this club. Well, let's start there uh, because that's the, the huge or the, the eye-popping story in revolution land. Um, you were at the press conference, I assume. Let's let's actually start with uh, the first practice. How does he actually look fitness-wise uh, in his first couple of practices with the Revs? Yeah, I had a chance to watch him on Tuesday. There's a base level of fitness there, and, and that doesn't go away. Uh, the question is, how quickly can the Revs push him uh, without exposing him to injury? And, and that's the... That's the sort of evaluation uh, that you'll see over the course of this week heading into the the match at Toronto FC on Saturday. And I think that was the big surprise because uh, the reports that I was hearing was that was that he was in in pretty good shape as far as fitness level is concerned. Uh, but when you think about the the pictures he's tweeted out and the the kind of adventures he's been on, it was kind of surprising that he was in any kind of shape at all. Yeah, I, he's had a fun summer. <laughs> And, and that's okay, and, and that's good. I mean, he deserves a vacation. Did a lot of a lot of good work down in Brazil. Uh, but even with those things being said, he still keeps that base level. That doesn't go away. Uh, and I think it'll be a matter of just everyone figuring out well, what's the best way forward to make sure that Jermaine Jones can have the the most impact uh, for this team during the playoff push. So for people who may not have be aware or may have been kind of on the outside looking in, this was a very intricate process, um, resolved in a weird way, which I guess we'll, we'll touch on in a second. But uh, at what point during the negotiations did the Revs actually jump in? Uh, was it always a situation where Chicago Fire were out in front and the Revs kind of swooped in at the end? Or were they always kind of keeping an eye on, on negotiations and how they were going with the Fire? They were always keeping an eye on things. Uh, the Revs have a, a certain way of doing business, and, and they're very quiet in how they uh, approach things. Uh, so they, they were always checking in on Jones and always making sure that they were in the mix. Uh, it, the difference was, of course, that Chicago was, was very vocal about its interest. So it, it was sort of assumed that Chicago was was taking the lead there, but that wasn't entirely the case. New England had a longstanding interest in Jermaine Jones, and 
uh, always tried to, to stay there or thereabouts as the situation developed. And as far as his camp was concerned or his side of the story, um, you know, he's, he said all the right things uh, in the press conference and, and through his social media and social networking. Uh, but was has is this the place where he has wanted to be all along? I, I think that where he is is a, a function of the MLS system. I, I don't. I think if you ask Jermaine Jones where he wanted to be, he'd probably tell you Los Angeles yeah. because that's where his family is. But that's not an option. So if you want to come back to MLS, you have to grapple with the fact that you may not always get to, to go to your preferred destination. So I, I think in the end, he's he's happy enough with going to New England, even if it's not Los Angeles or Chicago or any other place where he might oh, have wanted to end up at some point during this process. And that's what fascinates me about it, because this isn't a situation where it's Michael Bradley or Clint Dempsey uh, who who grew up in MLS, left and came back and kind of know the, how the league works and, and all of its quirks. It, it it feels to me almost like a Rude Hullet situation where it's like, look, I just want to play on this team. Why can't I just play on this team? Yeah, and that's the, and that's the rub. And, and the one advantage Jones had over other players who are used to playing in Europe is that, that he kind of had a grasp of things because of all of his international teammates. They could have told him that they could have explained that this was going to be a complicated process. And he, he was pretty philosophical about it when he talked about it on, on Tuesday saying some to the effect of, well, I let my agents handle it because there wasn't really anything I could do. And if I worried about it, it would drive me crazy. So I can understand the reluctance to, to place your fate in the hands of MLS <laughs> because you, you have no idea what they're going to do to, to determine it. But uh, I think he, he adopted the right approach and, and sort of allowed things to work their way uh, toward this conclusion. So please, for the uninitiated, and I'm going to say that I'm one of them as well, what was, and I know we don't actually know, but what was the official party line of how Jermaine Jones ended up with New England as far as MLS HQ is concerned? So it, the official line is that MLS has the ability to pluck players out of the the, the allocation order. Allocation orders, I guess, because there's two of them. Uh, under special circumstances, if a designated player meets a certain threshold. They they classified Jermaine Jones as a player who met that threshold, and that gave them more latitude to go through and determine a way of distributing his rights. So the idea was that both Chicago and New England had proven themselves willing and able to, to meet the the asking price and, and fulfill the, the terms of the contract that Jones signed with, with MLS. So the league decided to, to put Jones into a blind draw to assign his rights. And New England ended up winning that draw and, and landing Jermaine Jones. When you say blind draw, that's where I get confused. What does blind draw mean? Well, it's just basically flipping a coin. <laughs> I think in this case they used a, I think they used the envelopes in this case with, with the team names in them. But that's basically what we're talking about here. And, you know, the the famous NBA draft lottery conspiracy theory is the one with Patrick Ewing and you know David Stern and he puts his hand in and and one one envelope is was frozen so you felt the cold one and you but you know even that conspiracy theory played out on television where we can look and and look into it for ourselves none of this played out in any public forum correct uh, correct 
that was done behind closed doors, but I, I am under the impression that the teams were able to monitor the situation. <laughs> That's very nice. To ensure that it just wasn't. You know, uh, oh, the revolution won the blind draw, and that's that. Um, I, I am under the impression that both teams had a chance to, to, to see the draw and realize what was happening. And how Chicago feel about this whole situation? I would imagine they would feel very frustrated. Uh, I got a, I got a kick out of what Frank Yelp said in his release on on Sunday about how his, he had all this faith and MLS and its structures and procedures. I don't know how you can have faith in, in something that ends up with basically flipping a coin to determine a you know four and a half million dollar expenditure, but uh, the, I mean for the fire it, it's difficult uh, to, to invest all this time and energy trying to sign a player of Jermaine Jones's caliber, missing out and then realizing there isn't a lot of time to go out and find a suitable replacement. So uh, it, it's a it's a difficult uh, tool for the fire to swallow. So is it a situation, and I'm, you know, you, you were talking about threshold earlier. Did, did Maurice do not meet the threshold as far as salary is concerned, or is it because his was a loan deal, which made that the, the I don't want to say the exception, but that made the difference between that situation and the Jermaine Jones situation? It could have been those factors. It could have been some other factors. It could have been anything. You, you really never know. Uh, my guess is that it came down to the to the finances involved in this deal, uh, the fact that Jones made more money than Marisa do, um, and the fact that the the league wanted to to make sure that everybody had an equal shot to to come down and and get them, and that's that's where this comes from. But really, we're all just parsing it through. Uh, and trying to figure it out because it's a very circuitous process. Okay, so let's look for a concrete answer. How much longer can MLS function? I don't want to say function. How much longer can they keep putting the uh, the lack of transparency foot forward before there is legitimate, and I don't even know what legitimate in this case would be, but legitimate repercussions to the way that they do business? It's a good question. Uh, for me, when I look at it, I, I think it, it, it's going to be an increasing issue as as the league develops. Uh, but you need to have a critical mass. You need to have people in the mainstream media talking about how crooked and weird MLS yeah. is in order to get them to change. And, and that's not to say that anything untoward has gone down, but that's how it would be sold. Um in a in a you know regular sports environment, but right now there's not that investment uh, in you know the mainstream uh, in MLS or the arcane details of how a player is shuttled from one team to another or how he's allocated when he gets to the league. I agree. It's all about player is signed, he's going there. You need to get to the point where people get frustrated across the board outside of the little soccer bubble yes of with the way these things is, are being done and you know and you could you could point to deadspin and say well they they kind of called out mls but you know in the grand scheme of things deadspin isn't uh for instance the, the real sports story on chivas usa now nothing happened it felt like immediately afterwards but you could say that maybe that was the first domino or maybe the third domino or or the tipping point to Making sure that that they got Vergara out of the league and putting this putting Chivas in the situation where they are now, which is a new ownership around the corner with a new rebrand. 
Yeah, exactly. And, and that's the sort of thing I'm talking about. Like you want you if if you are rooting for transparency, then you're you are looking to see uh, when these sorts of things make it onto PTI or yep. Fox Sports Live or when radio shows you know take 10 or 15 minutes to discuss the ridiculous way in which a player is signed or allocated or whatever. Uh, that's that's your metric because you need that sort of external pressure to, to sort of guide uh, guide things and really increase the level of scrutiny. Uh, because right now, uh, you can talk about how people within the soccer community are, are displeased with how MLS is doing it. And, and there are some people who understand uh, why MLS functions the way it does, too. But if you're really looking for change, that's got to come from a, a broader base and a, and a wider uh, angle than, than people are, are currently occupying right now. Yeah, and i got to say that I'm, I'm guilty of that as well. I guess at, at points I get so defensive of people who crap all over the league that I turn to the point where I start trying to uh, explain or justify things that probably shouldn't be tried to explain or justified. Or... In the as in the case with this, I just shrug my shoulders and go, "Oh, that's MLS." But at some point, you're right. The outside or the non-soccer media has to put a spotlight on it. And, and at another point, we as fans or, or we as reporters also have to go. We can't just shrug our shoulders anymore and start a, a funny hashtag on Twitter like this is MLS. The accountability has to start somewhere, and it can't be just a disgruntled fan base because they didn't get player X. Yeah, and that, that's part of it, too, uh, for sure. And that drumbeat has been going on for a while. And, and that's, that's kind of the point. Like, I think it, it's fairly well known how MLS operates within these circles. Um, I think the, the, the diehard MLS fan or even the, the, the diehard soccer fan grasps that MLS operates a little bit differently than everybody else. And there's, there's some pressure within that community to, to change that. But at the same time, when you don't have other people sort of piling on there, yeah. and it, it becomes a becomes a situation where there's ridicule involved, then you can kind of get away with it and and sort of manage manage the process time and time again. True, these things keep happening for sure. And I think that's also another thing is these things keep happening, but they never snowball. So the Jermaine Jones thing comes out, we're all indignant or outraged or whatever we're feeling and then oh look it's uh, las vegas mls soccer stadium uh renderings aren't they pretty and then we forget about the jermaine jones t- thing until the next thing happens in a few weeks exactly and our, our attention spans right now are so short True. i mean most of our live is communicated in what 140 characters <laughs> so it's it, it it doesn't reach that critical mass and and really in order to to enforce those changes, whether you think they're good or bad, uh, it, it really needs to, to reach that, that tipping point where, where there's a, a broader investment and there's a, a maelstrom surrounding one of these decisions. When I asked you the question about when can we expect change, in the back of my mind, I, I asked it with the, well, the CBA is coming up. Maybe that'll be the point. You didn't bring it up, though, in the answer. Uh, do you think that, obviously, we know this, this CBA, CBA negotiation is going to be uh, very big for, for the league and for the players, but you, do you feel like this is one of the things that the, the players might go and ask for or, or at least get a little more transparency when the, the collective bargaining agreement comes up? 
players would love more transparency. They, they absolutely would. And I almost mentioned it in my answer, but the reason why I left it out is that it, it has to be a little bit farther down the list for them. Uh, when you look at the list of, of things that they need to negotiate, you've got to look at increasing the salary budget. There are travel considerations they want to, to improve. There are probably benefit issues that they want to improve. Uh, there are salary issues that they'd like to improve. And when you start ticking your way down the list, you have yeah. to figure out, well, where do these processes work in, into the mix? Would they rather have more transparency or more flexibility uh, on the road towards free agency. Like, I mean, and when you get into making those calculations, transparency has a way of falling down the pecking order a little bit. We talked last week with Matt Beasler, and one of the things that, that I asked him and he agreed with was one of the good things about CONCACAF Champions League for the players is they can charter a flight down to Central America, which in a lot of ways is easier to get there to there or more or less stressful in the body than actually uh, traveling for a league game. You just brought up travel concerns as something on the CBA list. Is that one of the things? Is, is, is it uh, the ability to, to use charter flights whenever they want? Is that something that's important to the team, to the players, or is it something else travel-related? I, th- I would think that would be on the list as players. I think uh, players are keenly aware uh, of, of the strain that, that playing an MLS takes on them. Uh, and the, the prospect of, of improving the travel situation is important because it's not always easy to get to your game at the weekend, and you're not always in peak condition to play it because you've, you've had to uh, endure uh, some commercial hiccups and headaches or whatever. Uh, the question is, where is it going to fall in the pecking order? And that's that's where it is because these negotiations, you never get anything, everything you want, mm-hmm. and that and that sort of gives you a a, a a sort of issue where you have to pick and choose. And I would think that trap concerns are are something that they will have to. Um, to weigh as they as they move forward with it. So let's get back to the Revs and, and Jermaine Jones and, and on the pitch things. To me, this feels like a the second coming of Shari Joseph for the Revs. Uh, do you agree with that assessment? And, and do you also agree that this was kind of the piece of the puzzle that the Revs didn't have really locked down? It's a really important signing for them uh, on a number of levels. Uh, I mean, one, just spending that amount of money on anybody, I think, was, was big for that club. Uh, but in terms of that on-the-field component, I think he is a, a critical piece going forward because he fills that sort of um, impactful role in the center of the park. He he asserts control over games and stamps his will on them. And they haven't had a player like that since Shower Joseph in his prime. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't see him necessarily as that guy who's going to sit in front of the back four. I see him as sort of a roving presence who's going to to really make life difficult on the opposition and then provide latitude for other players like Lee Wynn and Diego Fagundes and Kellen Rowe to, to thrive. Is there a comp in the league to where he is right now or to who who we can expect him to play like? We've mostly, I mean, speaking personally, I've only seen him in the national team with two defensive midfielders most often. Uh, I assume that's not how the, he's going to be deployed in MLS. So who, what kind of game can we expect from Jermaine Jones uh, if we're going to comp him to somebody in the league currently? Yeah, that's a good question. And it's difficult to answer because there aren't a lot of players with his 
combination of abilities. Yeah. Um, I, I think for me, the guy that he's always compared to, um, and it's not really fair, but that's what it is, is, is Michael Brown. That's the, that's the sort of presence that you, you look to him and think he can have. Now, now, Jones is obviously more physical. Michael Bradley is a little bit better with that ball over the top. But you've got, you've got guys who are, uh, who are established the highest levels. They have that experience, and they know how to assert control over the game. And those are figures that, that really make an Im- impact in this league. And I think, that, I think that Jones can fall into that category. Up top, to me, it felt like Charlie Davies is starting to make that position his own. But then off the pitch, you see that New England keeps buying these uh, lottery tickets, for lack of a better word, um, hoping that maybe one of them comes through. What is the thinking with the, this rash of, sh- of forward signings that the Revs have done in the last month? I think lottery tickets is actually a, a pretty good way of describing it. I mean, there's not a lot of exposure to go out and acquire a player through a lottery or, or sign them on a free transfer uh, before the roster freeze deadline. I, I think when you look at that area, the Revs wanted to improve there. And they've they've gone out and and made a couple of signings and, and tried to to provide Jay Heaps with different options. And I think that's good for this team because they need them at some point. That's no that's no slight on Charlie Davies, who has played very well uh, over the past few weeks. But uh, you always want to have some variety and you want to have some different options. And I think Jeffrey Castiglione, the the most recent signing, the Dutch striker, is important for him because he's robust and and he gives them a target presence that they've missed for much of this year. There were grumblings uh, through the media of using this opportunity, uh, the Jermaine Jones signing, to kind of get some momentum going about a downtown stadium. And uh, to me, it feels like just grumbling from people who can't get a downtown stadium. Do the Crafts have an interest in getting a downtown stadium? And if they do, was this an opportunity to get that ball rolling? They definitely want a soccer-specific stadium in Boston Court. Uh, that's not that's not them, you know, taking out a stance and trying to mollify people. That's a, that's a business decision. That is a a way forward for this club to change the revenue streams to put the revolution uh, up into the upper echelon of teams in this league. I mean, from a financial perspective, it makes complete and total sense to build a soccer-specific stadium. It's just hard to do it in Boston. Uh, You see it in D.C. Striking the right deal, finding the right parcel of land is complicated. And you you can certainly quibble with with how the Revs have gone about the process and the fact that they've been doing it for years and years without reaching any success. But the commitment's there. They want to get it done. Do I think Jermaine Jones makes a huge difference in those things? No, I don't. I, I think it's a matter of, of finding the right deal. And I, I don't know if the signing of one player who was good at the World Cup is enough to really sway politicians who have broader concerns in their minds. Do the Crafts want the Revs to be more of a of a of a talking point through the, to the people of Boston and the surrounding area? I think so. I think so. I don't think you, you spend the type of money on Jermaine Jones if you don't want that. I think it's it's vital for them to uh, to have a little bit more cachet and, and figure out a way to, to carve a little niche out of the sports landscape. And the signing of Jones in a World Cup year helps a little bit, certainly. 
uh, but there's still an awful lot of work to do. I was in Boston for the first time in my entire life two weeks ago. Loved the city. Um, but as I'm walking around and checking out a game at Fenway or whatever, I'm thinking to myself, where would you plop a, a soccer stadium in this area? Um, D.C.'s got some political issues, but there is a, a good amount of land to build a stadium that is in the the, the district uh, line, and district proper. Uh, does that kind of area exist in Boston? There are little pockets here and there, uh, but they're very desirable and they're very expensive. Uh, so it's it's difficult to find the sort of place where you can get enough momentum toward using it for a soccer-specific stadium. No city or no developer is going into a big parcel of land in Boston and thinking, you know what, this is exactly <laughs> where a soccer-specific stadium should go. It's a sell job. And it's a difficult sell job because there are other and perhaps more profitable ways to use that land. Uh, so for the Revs, it's a, it's a matter of wading through the process and, and trying to find that partnership that, that makes sense to them. It, it's been hard. They haven't had any success with it. Uh, and it, it's frustrating for the people around here, certainly. But that's uh, the state of affairs. Well, we had so much stuff to talk about the Revs. Um, we're going to have to bring you back on at some point to talk about MLS stuff. But I do want to ask you just a couple of, of quick answered uh, Major League Soccer issues or things that are going on off the field. And I, uh, if you just want to go yes or no, or if you have some, some more depth into it, that's great. Uh, Thierry Henry, is this it for him in MLS after this season? I think so, but the Red Bulls will miss him if he goes. Is the October 10th match in Hartford, Landon Donovan's unofficial testimonial, or do you foresee another match down the road that is an official testimonial in L.A. where he gets to play for the Galaxy for the first half and plays for the national team the second half? I think this is it. A little disappointing, though, isn't it? A little bit. I, I wish that game was on the West Coast. Exactly, and that's that's my point. You know, no, if, like, anywhere in the country, he's still in the United States, but he's such a West Coast guy to have this last appearance in a in a men's national team shirt in Hartford just seems a little bit anticlimactic. Yeah, I mean that's 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 a fair assessment. And whether they decide to do something else down the road, we'll see. But I think likely for everyone involved, this is probably it. Do the Revs make the playoffs as they uh, as they sit right now? Yes, I think they'll make the playoffs. And does Jermaine Jones make them a sexier pick? I mean, they're, they're always going to be uh, that team that people really glam onto because of how well they play offensively. Hasn't really worked out at all. Like, all the pieces haven't worked out this season. Is Jermaine Jones that last piece to kind of lock them down to let their, their creative players be creative? I think so, but we'll have to wait and see. Is D.C. United winning the Supporters' Shield this, this year? Which is a weird question to ask after they got stomped on in L.A. But And I could make a ton of excuses as to why they got stomped on. So that's why I'm still asking the questions, Kyle. I, I understand why you, you're still asking the question. I still think it's in play, but I don't think D.C. United will win the Supporters' Shield. Who do you think will as it stands today? And I know a million things are going to change between now and the end of the season. I, I like Seattle, uh, but... LA Galaxy is looming and lurking and, and could could nip in there as well. I agree with that. I just can't get that Columbus match out of my mind because they were looming at that point and they got dismantled. You know, it's MLS. It's the middle of the summer. True. Weird stuff happens. Finally, 
in January of 2015, will we be talking about Bradley Wright Phillips as the all-time single-season goal scorer for MLS? No. Ooh. I think he'll come up just short. <laughs> I like that. And here's what I liked about it, Kyle. You paused, took a few moments to ponder, and then said no. Yeah, because the easy answer is yes. I think you could reflexively say, hey, he's got Thierry Henry next to him. Uh, He's in a good position right now to go on and do it. Uh, For me, I think think he'll probably come up just a little bit short. And then he'll be wondering why he missed some of the chances he did along the way. And, you know, uh, I will say this. I wouldn't have a problem if he was. I, I feel like people are, are saying the 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 record will be tainted in some case by Bradley Wright Phillips having it. And I don't know, maybe he's not worthy of it. But let's not act like Roy Lasseter didn't get tremendous service throughout his career and especially during that season. And let's not act like Roy Lasseter is 10 times better than Bradley Wright Phillips. It's not as if a Jaime Romero or a Landon Donovan owned the record. Roy Lasseter was a good player. Bradley Wright Phillips is a good player. Yeah, I, I think the the only caveat I would say is that Bradley Wright Phillips was playing in the English Championship and English League One, and all of a sudden comes over here and uh, claims the MLS single season goal scoring record. <laughs> it it doesn't look quite as as good when, when that sort of thing happens. I, so I I can understand the hesitancy there. I agree, but. If you put Roy Lasseter, if he were English, what division would he have been playing in uh, the year that he broke the record? I mean, it's not like Landon, again, it's not like Landon Donovan who went over to Everton and showed he could play in the Premier League and then destroyed some sort of record, and now it's that guy. It's not, it's not Babe Ruth being eclipsed by, by somebody who's by uh, Brady Anderson. This, I feel like they're comparable players, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, no, I think that's a, I think that's a fair, fair sentiment. And, uh, you know, but... Uh, it, it's complicated, and people have attachments to records like that. True. So I, I get that part too. Anybody breaking Landon Donovan's all-time record? It just to me, it not fe- anytime soon. Yeah, it feels like one of those things where guys who are going to be in the league long enough won't be in the league long enough to break it. Does that yeah, make sense? I think that's I think that's fair, especially now where you see European teams a little bit more willing to to meet MLS asking prices and bring players uh, overseas. It, it's very difficult uh, to, to stay in the league for this long and be as successful as Landon Donovan has. It's going to be a long, long time before we see someone like him again. Busy week for you, Kyle, and I really appreciate you taking some time. We're going to have to get you on before the end of the season to really go over some uh, MLS big picture stuff, and I thank you for coming on. Absolutely. Anytime. show information, go to pitchpass.com.